Good morning. Turn with me to Psalm 1. I love when Danny does announcements. It's way better than when I do them. I'm like the most boring announcement person ever. It's awful. I'm like, here's some stuff that we're doing and whatnot. Psalm 1. So if you've been with us for for any length of time over the past few months, um, alongside of our regular teaching through uh, the Word of God, whether it's Romans or whatever book we're in, we have been going through, I've been teaching through um, a, a sermon series, a topical sermon series, and, and we most recently, expo- oh, there it is, we most recently explored um, doctrines, what we believe as the body of Christ. Um, that has come to an end. So we've concluded that topical series. Um, and today I'm going to introduce the next kind of topical series that I'll be teaching through, and it's the, the book of Psalms. Now, we're not going to go through every 150 Psalms because we'd literally be here for like forever. Um, but we'll take some of the, the key elements of the Psalms, teach through them, and see what they have for us. Um, pretty cool graphic. I didn't design it. I literally typed in graphic for Psalms, and it was like the second one that came up. So there you go. We've got to be hip and cool. So let's pray, um, and then we'll dive into the book of Psalms and, and take a specific look at Psalm 1 and how it instructs us in the reading and the receiving of this book of just incredible prayer and, and praise to our, to our Lord. So, Father, we thank you this morning, and we recognize in the midst of whatever we are going through, we we affirm with the psalmists that you are good, that you are loving, that you are gracious, that you know the path that you have set before us, God, that you care, and Lord, that you are big enough for us to bring ourselves, all that we have, you can hold that and meet us right in the midst of that. So Lord, this morning I ask that through your spirit that you would teach us the Psalms, that they would become more than just hymns, more than just poems on page, God, that they would, they would be very life to us. Lord, call us deeper into you, deeper into your words, that we, that we live it. And it becomes a, just life-giving to us, Lord. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would move. I ask that you would speak. And we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. So the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is primarily a book on prayer. It's a book on how to pray. It's an instructional that teaches the people of God how to pray and the language of prayer. It's a collection of 150, which is why we're not going to get through that in our topical series because we'd literally be here for like forever. 150 songs, prayers, poems. And David wrote, I mean, he's, he's, he's known as a songwriter and a poet, And he wrote about 73 of them. Some were written by Asaph. Some were written by this group called the Sons of Korah. 
There's some written by Haman and Ethan and Solomon and Moses, and a third of them are actually anonymous. So although the book does contain hymns and songs, it's primarily not a hymn book. In fact, it's organized and it's structured in a way um, for a specific purpose, and that specific intent is to teach the people of God how to pray and how to praise. So let's look at the organization. It's organized into five main books, and you might even have it in your own book of Psalms, in your Bible. It's organized, it's broken up into five main books. The last of, of, of each of these books within that poem is the line that says, May the Lord God of Israel be blessed forever and ever. Amen. There's a conclusion to, to the book of Psalms. So you have these five books that are broken up into specific psalms and, and poems and songs that end with, may the Lord God of Israel be blessed forever and ever. Amen. And then there's this conclusion to the book of Psalms that mirrors that five-book organization. right? So you have five books, and then the last five poems of the book of Psalms are poems of praise that each begin and end with the word hallelujah. And the word hallelujah, it's a Hebrew command for it's, it's a command to, to, it's like telling a group of people to praise Yah, which is a condensed version of God's holy name, Yahweh. So it's a command to praise Yahweh. That's how the book of Psalms closes with the last five Psalms. So the book has a conclusion. It has a body. It's organized into five parts. And it has an introduction. And the introduction... Uh, is, is Psalms 1 and 2. And it might be broken up in your Bible to include those into book 1, but I don't think they should be included in book 1. And the reason for that is this. Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are, one of those, are two of those anonymous psalms. They're not attributed to David. Psalms 3 through 41 in book 1 are attributed to David. So it, the intent there is an introduction. There's an introduction to the book of Psalms, there's a body to the book of Psalms, and there's a conclusion to the book of Psalms. So the intent, as we've said, is, is, is to it's instruct people on prayer with the goal in mind that we would hallel, that we would praise Yahweh. So it teaches us to pray and to praise and there's lots of different types of poems within this, this book, this, this entire um, organized book. But they, they fall primarily into two categories. And those two categories are this. Categories of lament or praise. I don't know. Either way, it's left or right. It doesn't really matter. They're just broken up into two categories. Lament and praise. And poems of lament are prayers that express pain, they express confusion and anger about how messed up the world is and how horrible or, 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 or hard or difficult or heartbreaking the psalmist's circumstances are. So that's a, that's a lament. It's like the world is messed up 
and my life is out of control. And there's an expression of anger or pain or confusion, but there's this, there's, there's this call, there's this ask for God to do something about it. That's a, that's a lament. Then poems of praise, they're prayers or songs of joy and celebration that are recounting what is good in the world and all that God has done in the life of the psalmist. And they result in, in a praise of thanksgiving towards God. So you have these two types of categories. And right there, we see this tension. And it's the same kind of tension I feel when I think of Johnny going back. It's like, oh, man, I'm sad. I'm going to miss the guy. But at the same time, I'm delighted for him. I'm excited to see what God's going to do through this, this new season in his life. There's a tension. There's a lament. And there's a praise. And the Psalms, um, they're so incredibly valuable to us today because they teach us how to pray. Um, they teach us the language and the vocabulary of prayer. They give us parameters for what's appropriate. Like this, this is what's appropriate to give to God. This is how I'm, I'm meant and designed to pray. And I think the, 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 the culture that we live in um, we live in a time where emotions and feelings are valued above everything else. The way I feel about my life is ultimate truth. And I think this is kind of due to a, maybe a pendulum swing in generations. I mean, you think 30, 40, 50 years ago, people were kind of emotionally constipated, if you want to put it for lack of a better word. Like emotions were negative. And we live, we live in a time where my generation and those below me are like emotionally incontinent. They just spew, it's like blah, everywhere, right? And what the Psalms does is it teaches us that God is inviting us to bring all of ourselves to him, all of our emotions, everything we feel, pour that out, give it to him, and allow him to speak truth into our feelings. And that it's his truth that rules and reigns over the actions in our life, not our emotions, not our feelings. It's God's word that rules and reigns. The Psalms, they, Psalms don't teach us to ignore our pain or to ignore the suffering of the world. But at the same time, it instructs us that, that true biblical faith is forward thinking. It looks forward to the coming rule and reign of Jesus Messiah when he will make all things right. Again, gives us the parameters of prayer. And that's my desire in going through this Psalms series is that we would become a people who, who pray and who know how to pray and who pray the Psalms. Amen? So Psalm 1. Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is considered... And it's called almost the gatekeeper to the collection of the Psalms. Psalm 1 and 2, remember, they embody this, this introduction. So the tension that we find in the Psalms, the, the tension of lament and praise, and it's actually interesting. If you read through the entire Psalms, you'll see that the first three books, when they're broken up into five, the first three books are primarily songs or, or poems or prayers of lament. There's praise thrown in there. But the poems and the prayers of lament outweigh the poems of praise. And then the last two books, the reverse is actually true. 
where the poems and the prayers of praise outweigh those of lament. So it's interesting to see the transition from lament to praise. Keep that in mind as we read through Psalm 1. So Psalm 1 is, is let's just read it. We'll read it and then, and then we'll dive into it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will, stand, will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And straight out the gate, we have this tension. The psalmist here, he presents two paths to life, two paths to happiness, two visions of what we call the good life. And the psalmist, he, he leaves no room for gray in describing these paths. It's very black and white. One path leads to life, and one path leads to death. And it's called the path of the righteous and the path of the wicked. There's, there's no gray area here. It's black and white. One leads to life and one leads to death. Now, wicked here, it's not speaking. When, like when we think of wicked or when I think of wicked, what I, what I kind of instantly go to is, oh, you know, wicked, evil, um, godless people who murder or steal or do drugs in the alley or whatever. Um, but that's not what it's speaking towards. Rather, the psalmist um, is speaking of, of those whose core allegiance and affection is toward the ways and the values and the virtues of the world rather than God. So their allegiance is given to the world. That's what he's speaking of towards when he's speaking like, this is the path of the wicked, of those whose allegiance is towards the things of the world. And what happens when I read that is, is I'm struck with how often my own affections and allegiance teeters between the ways of God and what God desires and the ways of the world and what the world wants. How I value and desire things that, that just really have nothing to do with Jesus at all or the life that he offers. And they're not necessarily bad things, sometimes good things. I value and I place over and above the best thing, which is the person of Jesus Christ in my life. So Psalm 1. We have two paths. The path of the righteous man and the path of the wicked man. And the path of the righteous man is described as this. Blessed is the man. So the righteous man is described as a blessed man. He is happy. The Hebrew word here. For blessed is asher or, or asher, asher, whatever you want to say it, which is better translated to happy, but it's like this plurality of happy. He's happy, happy. Like this guy's happy. <laughs> he's, he's content. He's satisfied. This is the person that, that, is, that is happy. 
But now look how this person is described. Happy, blessed, contented is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. And two things we notice here straight away is that those whose life is marked by a share or by this happiness, this contentness, this satisfaction. There's negative calls and then there's positive calls, right? Who does not, who does not, who does not, but his delight is in. His delight is in and on his law. And notice the progression here. We have counsel, way, which is also translated path, and seat. And what the psalmist is doing is straight away He's challenging our core allegiance. He's asking us, where is your allegiance? Is it to the world or is it to God? And he does this by doing counsel, way, and seat, which speaks to the thought life. So you have counsel, which is your thought life. The way or, or, or path, which is speaking towards our behavior. And then the seat, which is speaking towards belonging. So we have thought life. We have action or behavior, and we have belonging. And then notice the other three kind of ways in which he's, he, he challenges our allegiance. It's walk, stand, and sit. And it's the slow but sure progression towards spiritual apathy that he's warning against. It's like, where is your allegiance? Where does your heart lie? Is it towards things of the world and the way that the world thinks? And what the world values, or is it, towards, is it towards God and his values? Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. So the world's values, they put primacy on the individuality of the person. Like, you're the center of the universe, in, 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 the, in the value system of the world. You are the center of the universe. Your feelings are, you, are your guide as you kind of navigate through life. And freedom, this is what the world believes, freedom is found through deconstructing what limits you. Whether it's traditional values in gender, sexuality, family life, religion, socioeconomic values, government, etc., Freedom is found by removing yourself from those things. That's the value of the world. But listen to what Psalm 2, verse 2 says. It said, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. There's nothing new. (laughs) Like, there's nothing new. When we view God's, God's way and God's invitation into true life as cords and as bondage, it's a first indicator that we are not in allegiance to him. But the children of God do not walk in this way. They do not walk in this way. So if our primary allegiance and affection is, is towards the value and the virtues of God, then we're going to look and act and think 
like the values and the virtues of God. And the values and virtues of God are reflected in, in Jesus. I mean, Jesus invites us. There's an invitation to follow him. John 12, 25 through 26 says this, whoever lo- loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. John 10, 27 through 28, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Luke 9, 23 through 24, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Jesus is inviting us into a new way of life, a transformation of our allegiance and our affections. So his call is to walk not in the way of of the world, but to walk in the way of Jesus. He's inviting us, follow me. And if we're not following him, if we're not walking towards him, where are we going? We're not following him. Where are we going? So we surrender to the way of Jesus and walk towards life in him. That's this kind of indicator of a blessed man or woman. Continue with that thought of walking. Galatians 5, 16 through 18 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Verse 25, he says this. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep step with the Spirit. Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. In Ephesians 5, 8 through 9, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. There's this invitation into life, and a life that's not in bondage, but, it, but it's under the rule and reign of King Jesus. And the way of life. It's not found in the values and the virtues of the world. And that's why Paul warns, he's like, well, guard your mind. Because what consumes our thoughts and our affections will flesh itself out in the way that we walk. Do we delight in, in the scriptures? Do we delight in the presence of God? Do we delight to walk in the footsteps of Jesus and submit ourselves to him. And if I'm really honest, which is what the psalmist wants us to be, <laughs> he wants us to expose our hearts. If I'm really honest, I think <laughs> oftentimes I'm thinking not in the terms of, of walking in, in, in Jesus and in grace and in love and in truth and in the spirit, but my, my thought is for what entertains me, what fills my time, what, what pleases me. 
and, and so much of my time, so much of our time as a society is spent in social media and spent on Netflix and spent on, on things that aren't even, aren't even necessarily bad. But where, where is your affection? And does it reflect someone who's been transformed and changed by the person of Jesus and given their allegiance to him? That's what the psalmist is asking. Nor stands in the way of sinners. He does not stand in the way or the path of the sinners or the wicked. So, so think towards action. Our life by action looks different or should look different than those whose, whose affections are and allegiances are toward the world. So this is not a call for the Christian community to like be isolated and to, and to, to keep the world out. Like we just got to keep ourselves in our own little bubble and, and make sure that nobody kind of infects us from the outside. Rather, it's a call to live our lives that re, in a reflection of the person of Jesus and to attract others to the community of God. And our lives, like the desire that God has for us is to be so full of the life-giving presence of his spirit that others take note. They go, something's different there. Like Something's different. They don't do what other people do. We don't stand in the way of sinners. And our thought is to look, look at Jesus and ask, do we walk like Jesus? Are we driven by anxiety and fear? And, and, and in, in order to kind of combat that, are we turning to the ways of the world for comfort rather than to the scriptures and to the presence of God and to the community of faith for our, for our, our fulfillment and for our, our, our comfort? Does our life look like a life that's been, been transformed and marked by the wondrous work of Jesus? Psalmist, the psalmist is asking, where's your allegiance? He does not sit in the seat of scoffers. And this speaks towards, towards belonging. And scoffers here, is, it's well translated as, as people who have... Um, no regard for God. They just completely disregard him. They could care less. They're utterly unrepentant. They're, they're God mockers. And we live in a world today where that is very true. That is very true. And, and, and the call is to not be content to, to have our, our core fellowship be with those who just mock and jeer and treat God with, with, with no affection or no contempt or with no um, even thought towards him. And the picture that, that we, we kind of see is this move from spiritual contentedness and happiness towards spiritual apathy and immobilization. And then the transformation is this, but his delight. So these are things that the, the righteous man, the path to life, this is what we don't do. And then the transformation is this, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day 
and night. The pri our primary diet is God's word rather than the voices and the virtues and the values of the world. I mean, think of, of social media or just media in general. And, and the call here, the law of the Lord, to delight and to meditate on it, it's not just reading it, but it's digesting it. It's praying it. And when we think of meditate, it's not Eastern meditation where the goal in mind is to clear your mind, to like empty your mind. But meditation in Scripture is, is this feeding and the filling of your mind. And then it's actually a word called Hagah, which translated is, is quite interesting. It's, it's like a mumbling or it's a thoughtful musing. And it's used in the same sense of doves cooing or bears growling. <laughs> so it's like Hagah. And yeah, doves do coo. And you know why they coo? I had to look it up. I don't know why. I didn't know why they cooed. But apparently they coo to like tell each other to look at something. Like, a, coo, look at that. I just thought that was interesting. I don't know how you tell that for sure. I mean, like a dove expert is like, oh, yeah, he's telling me to look at that. Um, I just, it, these, and, and again, this is where like my affections kind of just, tr just rabbit trail down. The, the internet can be such a blessing, but it can also be such a curse for me because I want to know why doves coo. <laughs> But it's just, it's just like, it, it speaks of communication. So you're communicating, you're speaking, you're muttering, you're uttering the law, the word of God. So imagine it's, it's like this walking, it's this reading it and speaking it and muttering it under your breath. And as people of God, we're, we're people that are meant to be marked by the scriptures, we're to be praying, we're to be speaking and soaking and just saturated in the scriptures. There's to shape our way of thinking about life. What delights us most is meant to be the scriptures. And the picture, it's, it's not like this, this Haggah is not just reading it for 15 minutes during your Devo time. Right? It's a feeding on the word of God, a daily feeding on the word. I had this, like, I've been super <laughs> convicted by Psalm 1 this past couple of weeks, like really convicted. And I had this moment where I was like, I'm just going to sit down and watch Netflix because I'm really tired and still jet lagged and all, the, all that that goes with it. And I just got bored. I was like scrolling through Netflix. And I was like, there's just nothing I want to watch right now. And I have all these options in the world. And I'm just wasting my time. And I felt the Lord was like, why don't you spend time with me in, in, in the Word? I was like, okay, well, I'll do what Psalm 1 says. And I had this strange desire to read Leviticus. And I've never had, like, just this random desire to read through Leviticus. And I don't know how many of you do that. I know there's one person in here specifically who loves to read through Leviticus. And I'm not going to name them in front of everybody. But I've never had that, like, I just really want to read through all the laws that God laid out. But I did. And it was like life to me. It was incredible. I was going, Leviticus has never been more alive. And that was way more valuable than 45 to two hours on Netflix. And, but I started reading them, and I was muttering them to myself. And it was like I couldn't stop thinking about them throughout the day. And it transformed Leviticus in my mind from rules and regulations. And it was like a love letter 
of God to his people of an invitation to life. I just went, God, you're so good. <laughs> you're so good. We need to feed on the word of God daily. John 1, 14 says this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 8, 31-32 says this, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The daily feeding on the word and the presence Jesus. And isn't that what we want? As believers, we should want and desire for our lives to be marked by this fullness and this just complete surrender to the scriptures and to the presence of God. 1 John 3 15 through 17 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And we want to be a people who abide in all the, the blessings that are available to us in Christ Jesus. Must have gained some weight since going to the States because this stage is really creepy. <laughs> I ate a lot. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. So his life is marked by this delight in the, in, the, in the law of the Lord and this meditation, this daily feeding upon the word. And he is like a tree planted by streams of water. And throughout the Psalms, this is really interesting, throughout the Psalms, Lives of men and women are often compared to the grass. They're more, most often compared to the grass that is, that is here today and gone the next. But look how, look how the righteous man is compared here. He's compared to a tree. Isn't that interesting? He's compared to a tree. And Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8 says this, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Interesting, like a tree. So let's break down this verse really quick into three parts. And and again, the, the Psalms are Psalms of poems, so they're very poetic, and they're meant to conjure up images in our mind that reflect the truth. So tree is an image of, the image of a tree for me speaks of strength and of beauty. There's a solidity to it. And this is the image of a soul that is feeding on the scriptures and the presence of God. There's a solidity. There's a strength. Um, and there's a beauty. And then planted, what is the image, of, uh, uh, what is the word, image conjure up when we think of the word planted? There's intent, there's purpose, and this speaks towards the providence of God in your life. There's intentionality towards it. 
and there's an t- intentionality of being planted in a place where you can grow in the likeness of Christ, in his character and conduct. And then streams of water were planted by a life source that is never failing and never runs out. What does Jeremiah says? Even in the dry season, a soul that is, is, is planted and surrendered to the word and to the spirit will never want and will never be thirsty spiritually. He's not defined by his seasons or his circumstances. How incredible is that? This righteous, <laughs> righteous man, this blessed man. And the tree that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. So in a very real way, when we are soaked in the, in the scriptures and in the presence of God, our lives will be a blessing for those around us. We will bear fruit for others' good. And when we do go through the drought and the dry seasons of life, when the sun beats down on us and when nothing makes sense and everything seems to be against us, when we're in the scriptures and in his presence, our faith will not die. Speaking of, of it's, it's this call to be just saturated in the scriptures and in God's presence. And all that he does, he's, he prospers. And this isn't speaking necessarily towards a monetary prosperity or like a material prosperity, but a, of a deep happiness and contentedness in the word and the presence of God, in the scriptures and in the presence of God. So that's path one. It's the way to life. Really quickly, we'll go through path two. Path two, the wicked. Again, feel that tension, that tension of like, man, that's incredible. That vision is incredible. And now the psalmist turns a corner and says, the wicked are not so. Oh, you you don't say. But are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Like chaff that the wind drives away. Chaff now is the husk or the shell of wheat or corn that's separated by winnowing or threshing. And so those who, whose allegiance is towards the world are like shells. They're useless, blown away, lifeless, without substance or even the potentiality to bear fruit. They will not stand in the judgment, but will perish. And the progression is from a useless, lifeless person being expelled from the presence of God to get to death. And there is no gray here. There is no black and white. There are only two paths. One leads to life, and one leads to death. And Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Psalm 1611, a psalm of David says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Isn't that thought wonderful? That he knows the way of the righteous? That's incredible. And David 
He's probably one of the greatest poet and songwriters the world has ever known, I think, in my opinion, at least. He really understood the heart. He really understood the heart. He wrote this in Psalm 14, 1 through 3. He says, The fool says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is no one, or there is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. And Paul in Romans 3, speaking of the heart of man, quotes parts of Psalm 14 and Psalm 53, and he says this, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their lips, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and, and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. But listen to what he says in verses 21 through 25. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Jesus is the righteous man in Psalm 1. He lived the perfect life and He was the only man in history to do so. And he went to the tree on Calvary in order that we might have the very righteousness that brings us in to the blessing of God, that plants us by the stream of living water, that produces fruit in us, and that brings true contentment and happiness. And Jesus, when he was on the cross, he quoted from the Psalms, he prayed the Psalms. And the cross, it's, it's all about Jesus. That's what the psalmist is, is pointing towards, this future messianic king. And that king is Jesus. And that's the tension we should feel there. It's like, man, when I read Psalm 1, I identify more with the wicked than I do with the righteous in what I do. But Christ, has, in, by the power of his blood and his work on the cross, has given me righteousness. And the Psalms, what the psalmist is asking us is, you have a choice. There's a path to life, and there's a path to death. And the Psalms, if, if we think of the Psalms through that lens, through their speaking about Jesus, they're speaking towards Jesus, and we're going we're gonna to be able to, to, to pray them as they are meant to be prayer, prayed. And prayer, it's this invitation to God's presence. It's an invitation into life. And it's Jesus saying, come, follow me. I'm the way to true contentedness, to true happiness. I am the way.
And so as, as, as we kind of come to a close here, the, the question is, like, where are you? Where are you? And, and this is what the psalmist wants us to ask and really reflect on where we are at in our life and where we are with Jesus and what path are you on? Are you on a path towards life or are you on a path towards death? And then if you're on the path towards life, if you're a believer here today, and the question is, where are your, where are your affections? Are there areas in your life where your allegiance towards the world is greater than your allegiance towards God? And what God is asking is, is this invitation into true, deep um, fullness of life through his word and through his spirit. And if you're not a believer here today, the only other option is it's a path towards death. That's it. And the gospel is extremely inclusive in that it's available for, every, for everybody, but it's extremely exclusive in that it's only through Jesus. That's it. So the path of life is through Jesus. And any other path is a path towards death. So the psalmist is inviting us to assess ourselves, to allow this psalm to, to kind of just peel back the layers of our heart, and then to bring ourselves before a good and loving God who meets us right where we're at, has, has the ability to pour grace and mercy and love in our lives and transform us into true, contented, satisfied, happy believers who are, who are saturated in his word and in his presence. Amen? Let's pray. So, Father, as, as we're, we're struck by Psalm 1, Lord, you know our hearts. You know exactly where we're at. And even when we may deceive ourselves in believing that we're you know, we're, we're sold out by coming to church on Sunday. And that's, that's what being a true follower of Jesus looks like. And yet we have so often affections and allegiances towards the ways and the virtues and the values of the world that do not reflect your kingdom. So Lord, I ask that you would do a work in us right now. Where there needs to be repentance, God, would you call us towards repentance? Where there's conviction, God, would you convict? And Lord, in all of this, would you cause us to be, to be people who seek after you, who value the scriptures and your word above all else, and who long for your presence? Lord, would you make us a people who pray, who give everything to you. And Lord, you know exactly where each person is here. God, I just ask that you would move. I ask that you would move. 
Lord, help us to do work with you right now. As we enter into a time of, of praise, of worship, and of reflection, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would work. In your name we pray. Amen.